Hello, I'm Austin McCormick, and you're listening to The Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast today. I have the privilege once again to host Brother Jimmy Johnson, the excellent Jimmy Johnson on the Covenant Podcast today. And uh, Brother Jimmy is quickly becoming a regular contributor to the Covenant Podcast as he's uh, discussed Andrew Fuller a few weeks ago and we had him uh, on the podcast when it was formally called the Context is Key Podcast when he discussed uh, Matt, uh, something in the book of Matthew. I can't even remember off the top of my head. And today, it was the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. That's right. That's right. And then today we have Brother Jimmy on the podcast to discuss another particular Baptist, Benjamin Keach. So, Brother Jimmy, can you give us a biographical overview of Benjamin Keach? Yes. I mean, Benjamin Keach, uh, his nickname was the excellent Benjamin Keach, which is why Austin called me the excellent Jimmy Johnson. Um, I don't know if I'm quite as excellent as Benny Kay, as I like to call him. But Benjamin Keach was born in 1640 um, in a rural area in Stoke Hammond, Buckinghamshire. Um, He was baptized six days later at the parish church as an infant. So he was an Anglican or born into an Anglican family. Um, Just four years later, uh, interesting historical note, the first London Baptist Confession was signed. And then in 1646, the Westminster Confession was published. Um, 1649 to 1650, Charles I was executed, the King of England during that time. And Oliver Cromwell took over and religious freedom was established. And that's going to be key in Benjamin Keach's life because in his early ministry, there was religious freedom, but in his middle era or the middle period of his life and ministry, there was not religious freedom. So he underwent persecution. And then the later part of his life after 1689, there was religious freedom again. But in 1655, at the age of 15, he was converted and actually baptized among general Baptists. So he started out as a general Baptist, which means that to be a general Baptist meant that you believe that Jesus died or atoned for everyone. It was a universal or a general atonement. Uh, 1658, Oliver Cromwell dies, uh, and Benjamin Keach begins preaching among General Baptist at that time. He actually was pastoring a church near his hometown, a General Baptist church. He got married in 1660 the first time to a woman named Jane Grove, but she lived 10 years and then would pass away, leaving Benjamin Keach with three young children. Charles II ascended to the throne in 1660, and then in 1662, the Act of Uniformity was declared and the persecution of nonconformists, which included Baptists, began, which affected Keach personally because in 1664, he was arrested for publishing a work that was for the instruction of children. It had a statement in there on believers' baptism, 
which is one of the main reasons he got in trouble. And he was imprisoned for two weeks and fined quite a large amount for a, a poor Baptist Puritan preacher. A part of his, his imprisonment, uh, he had to actually twice stand for two hours in what is called a pillory, which is that thing that has three holes in it. Your head goes in one hole and then your, your hands in the other two. And he had to stand there for two hours twice over the course of that two weeks. And while he was there, he was heckled by various people. He actually got into debate with a, a debate with a Anglican, uh, priest or, or pastor while he was in the pillory, but he also preached and, and, but they kept trying to silence him. And he eventually quoted the passage where essentially blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. But he was in prison that time. Another time it's recorded that he was actually preaching and a couple of cavalry men overtook him and we're going bound him and we're going to trample him to death until a a a um captain or or an officer stopped them from from killing him so he was persecuted in his first 10 years or 20 years of ministry quite heavily he began um or in 1670 his his first wife jane died as i said leaving him with three young children and in 1672, he married Susanna Partridge and adopted Calvinism that same year, becoming a particular Baptist. And around that same time, he began with a group of general Baptists who had actually came to Calvinistic convic convictions, including particular redemption or limited atonement, which is why they go by particular Baptist. But he began a work in London there. And he originally actually moved to London to flee from persecution. I skipped that part. But during that time, after he started that Baptist work there, he, he preached faithfully. Most when, when you hear people or read people writing about Keach and his preaching, he was a powerful and eloquent preacher. When you read his sermons, you can see that come through. He write, wrote several books and eventually in 1689, the act of toleration was declared and religious tolerance was then allowed. So the Baptist in that same year published the 1689 Confession of Faith, which was actually written in 1677. And Keach was one of the signatories of that work. And in between 1689 and 1704, when he died at the age of 64, he wrote several books on, on a whole plethora of subjects, some of them biblical interpretation, some of them on baptism and covenant theology that we'll discuss in a moment, and, and then some dealing with the, the justification controversy during his life. He also wrote against Quakerism too, which was another controversy he was involved in. But the church that he pastored for 36 years in London actually became what is now known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle under Charles Spurgeon was the one who, who changed the name and moved the church. But Charles Spurgeon was actually one of the followers of Benjamin Keach in Charles Spurgeon actually wrote a history of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and he devoted a large portion to Benjamin Keach because he admired him. Uh, and he, 
in several times in Spurgeon's sermons, you can find quotes from Benjamin Keach. So Benjamin Keach was greatly respected by Charles Spurgeon. So that's kind of an overview, a snapshot of Keach's life. Much more could be said, but he was a faithful pastor. He was an apologist, and he also was a man who could endure suffering with joy for Christ. Great biographical uh, introduction to uh, Benjamin Keach, and you mentioned that he was a signatory of the 1689 London Baptist Confession Mm -hmm. of Faith, and uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about his theological beliefs concerning covenant theology, as you hinted at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Benjamin Keach didn't really add anything new to the the Baptist conversation. He he might have refined it in way of conversation and way of writing, but he essentially followed after Nehemiah Cox in in his understanding of covenant theology, and particularly the Abrahamic covenant is where Baptists disagree with the with the Presbyterians or sixteen forty six federalism. And in the sense that the Abrahamic covenant is really just a a it is a temporary covenant with, with eternal ramifications or spiritual underlyings in the sense that the gospel was promised in the Abrahamic covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant itself was not the new covenant. One of the distinctives that Keach did bring to the table, it's more of an interesting aside, is that Keach, in writing against infant baptism, or rather writing for believers' baptism actually denied the the covenant of redemption. And if you read him more carefully, he doesn't actually deny it. He just kind of combines the covenant of redemption with the covenant of grace. So the covenant of redemption is the the covenant between God the Father and God the Son, and in the sense that God the Father agreed to give the Son a people, and God the Son agreed to become man and die for those people. And then if you read John Gill, John Gill does a good job of actually placing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, within the covenant of redemption too, and accurately. But Keach denied a separate covenant. Uh, and he just said that is the covenant of grace. But when Christ became man and actually secured the redemption for his people and the elect, the, the covenant of grace that was made in eternity among the Godhead was manifested in history. So it's interesting because he was writing at a time during a controversy amongst Baptists known as the hymn controversy, and no one really took issue with Keach denying the covenant of redemption. A lot of people disagreed with him at that time on the issue of hymn singing within Baptist churches. So most people just saw it as a difference in way of communicating, not really in a difference of substance with with the covenant theology. But Keach was definitely an adherer to what is now called 1689 federalism, and he defended it on several occasions uh, and, and was pretty, pretty clear in his defense. But again, he was building off of what uh, Nehemiah Cox as well as John Owen had already written. Very that interesting. Sense. Yes, yes, very interesting. Uh, so certainly, as you mentioned, there was a swing from General Baptist to particular Baptist in the life of Benjamin Keach. And I'm sure that would yeah. cause controversy in his uh, life, yeah. but there were other controversies that Benjamin Keach went through. Can you tell yes. us some of those? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, just to start out, the reason that Benjamin Keach, out of all the 17th century Baptist, is one of the more well-known ones is because he just wrote the most. I mean, he wrote 43 books, or at least we, we know that he published 43 books. He, he wrote against Quakerism, which was something that would have been dear to his heart because one of his daughters actually converted to Quakerism, and they, they denied the authority of the Bible and, and worship as well as the pastoral ministry and several other issues that, that Benjamin Keach took issue with. Probably one of the most famous controversies he was involved with was the Baxterian controversy, which takes its name from Richard Baxter, who was an English Presbyterian minister, he, he wrote a very famous work known as The Reformed Pastor. You can still buy it, and I believe Banner of Truth actually has it published, so you can still buy it. But Baxter essentially denied the Reformed understanding of justification by faith. So what we might call Baxter is he is a neo-nomian. He's not an anti-nomian, but in that he doesn't deny the existence of a law, but he's a neo-nomian, which means new law. So to distill that out, what Baxter believed is that Jesus died for everyone, so a general atonement, satisfying the God's government or God's general justice, not specific justice for the sinner or for the sins of the elect. And in doing so, he merited everybody a different and milder law. So what was required was faith, repentance, and sincere obedience. That is how one achieved justification. That is standing rightly before God. It is by obeying the gospel demands that one is justified in God's sight. Jesus met and abolished the old law and established a new one. So does that make sense? Yes. Do you see where, where the error might be? Right. Um, Keach instead, or in reply in the morrow of true justification, insisted on that we are to passively rest in Jesus's active and passive obedience for justification. And faith, though it is accompanied and followed by good works and justification, it is not a, a meritorious act in gaining righteousness. Our righteousness comes by resting in Christ and his perfect work. And justification itself has nothing to do with our deeds. There is no law that we we meet to be justified and declared right in God's sight. Our assurance is rooted ultimately in the Savior and not our partial obedience to a new law. And and Baxter essentially was, was reverting back to Arminianism, and, and as many would say that Arminianism and, and the Remonstrance was actually a diversion back to Rome's understanding of synergism in salvation. And Keech wanted to have none of that. And he would have been familiar with that had since he had been a general Baptist prior to becoming a particular Baptist. But his understanding was just of justification came from his understanding of free grace and his utter dependence upon Jesus's active and passive obedience. So that would probably be one of the bigger controversies that Keach entered into. Another one was the, the hymn singing controversy, which is not one that you're going to hear of much, but we in, in modern Baptist churches have Keach to thank for our singing of hymns. 
because up to that point they were singing psalms exclusively in most particular Baptist churches, but Keach actually set out to give a theological rationale for the singing of hymns and spiritual songs and actually wrote over 500 hymns himself and published three of them, 300 of them in a, in a hymn book for his church. So, and, and there's a book on, I can't recall the title of it, to be honest though, but he, he wrote a book to defend hymn singing against those that objected. So those would be the main, main controversies that, that Keach dealt with the Quakers, the Neonomians, and then also the, the hymn singing controversy. And that, in addition to his dealing with infant baptism and his works on covenant theology. Um, one thing I had told you, Austin, that I was going to tell about, but actually skipped over in my biography is that Keach had three young children. One of them was Elias Keach, and Elias Keach actually moved to America um, while Keach was still, while Benjamin Keach was still alive, and Elias began preaching in Baptist churches in America, but he wasn't converted. He lied about his conversion, and he had actually fled um, from London because he he didn't want to come under the teachings of his father and was annoyed with Christianity and things like that. But he deceived people and was a fraud in order to gain riches. He, he became a Baptist minister. And while he was preaching, he actually was converted um, and, 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 and repented before the people that he was preaching to and actually ended up becoming one of the main figures in, in the regular Baptist movement in the United States. So that's kind of an interesting tidbit from from the Keach family. So I think that's all I have for the controversies. Do you have any questions? Uh, just a thought, how interesting it would be for lost preachers in America to get converted in 2019 in their own pulpits. <laughs> what other applications can, <laughs> yeah. you, can well, you give to us about uh, the controversy of Keach and the biography of Keach? Yeah, I, I have five here prepared. Um, the first one is the willingness to suffer for the truth. I mean, Keach is an example of one that was willing to stand strong even in the wake of, or even in the face of persecution, whether it be for believers' baptism, or, or he also was somewhat persecuted for his view of end times, which I haven't really gotten too deep into his view of end times, but he, he was willing to stand for what he ascertained to be the truth from, from the scriptures themselves. So that's something that we can, we can learn from him, a willingness to suffer for truth. Also, we, we learn the need for faithful pastors. I mean, he pastored New Park Street Church uh, for 37 years. I mean, he only lived into his 60s, so a majority of his life he faithfully pastored the same church and and we need pastors who are willing to pastor for long periods of time in the same church because it clearly had a lasting impact and the metropolitan tabernacle has an amazing legacy in the sense that you have charles spurgeon you have john gill you have benjamin keach those would be the three main ones that most people have if they've heard of any of them those would be the three ones that they heard of but he he was one of the faithful pastors of that church and that church is still going strong after centuries of of ministry 
also the importance of the doctrine of justification. We, we learn that. And in, in, in that, we, we learn the need to have pastors who, who know the truth and are able to clearly communicate it as well as respond to other errors that arise in the church. We, we need pastors who are willing to take up arms against falsehoods. Because, I mean, the doctrine of justification for Keech, it wasn't just an intellectual matter because Baxter's theology undercut gospel assurance. If, if our assurance of salvation is rooted in our ability to keep some new abstract law that really doesn't have clearly defined parameters, it's like assurance just goes out the window entirely. Whereas Keech is like, no, we rest in Christ. So pastors need to be concerned about theology and particularly justification so that we can best minister to our people. Fourthly, would be the importance of Bible interpretation. Keech wrote two very large works on Bible interpretation. I believe you're having someone on to talk about one of them later, but he wrote the Tropologia, which is a key to open the scriptures or scriptures metaphors, and then he wrote an exposition of parables. The exposition of parables was 900 pages or more long, and the Tropologia, which is kind of an interpretation of metaphors and, and types in the Old Testament, was over a thousand pages long. So, I mean, these are deep theological works on just how to interpret the scriptures in a consistent way. So, I mean, I can't, I mean, it, hermeneutics is kind of my wheelhouse and I, I like to talk about the subject of hermeneutics. So that, but I think it is important for, for the people of God and particularly pastors to be precise or to have precision in, in the art and the science of, of biblical interpretation. And then fifthly, the importance of godliness. Keach wrote several works on godliness. He, he wrote an allegory on, on the travels of true godliness that I'm working through right now. It's a wonderful book. It's a lot like Pilgrim's Progress. I'd say it's even easier to read, though, than Pilgrim's Progress. But it's an excellent work on godliness and, and, and in the Christian life. And he wrote other works on, on mortifying sin and, and, and things like so. So just the importance of not only are we justified by God's free grace, but that same grace that justifies us grows us in holiness and it, it, it sanctifies us. So those would be five applications that, that I've distilled from both Keech's life and writing. Well, we've had a great time this morning or the listeners. Any recommended books? Yes, yes, yes. We, <laughs> you had said that you wanted some recommended books earlier. Yes, I was segueing us into that. Would you recommend us some oh, books? Sorry. No, you're fine. Would you recommend us some books if we want to uh, begin to read this particular Baptist? I would say that oh. both of us would agree that Benjamin Keach is a uh, important Baptist to yeah. study not only in church history but in overall Christianity altogether. So, where are mm -hmm. some good places that we can start reading? Well, before your guest rudely interrupted you. Um, <laughs> I'll go ahead and give you what you requested. Uh, the Morrow of True Justification is a book by Benjamin Keach. It's still in print. Uh, I'm sure Austin can link it in the show notes somewhere and find it. 
I believe it's on, you can find it at Solid Ground Publishers, Austin, if you want to link to a modern copy of it. And then also The Travels of True Godliness, that can be found at the same website. And then The Glories of a True Church, all three of those can be found at that website and are in modern public, are modern publications. So they're books that can be bought. Um, If you have Lagos, you can buy tons of his books, but if you don't, those three are the three that I'd start out with. The Morrow of True Justification is a relatively short read. I believe it's, I don't even think it's a hundred pages. I think you read it, didn't you, Austin? Yes, I read it in yeah, 24 hours. It's not very long. Yeah, it's not very long, and it, it's it's one of his more important works. And then The Travels of True Godliness is 200 fairly it's a very easy read it's 200 pages and the glories of the true of a true church is also a pretty easy read and and, and a shorter read now for those that are more more daring um the tropologia uh, is is a good book i mean especially if you're interested in hermeneutics and in understanding how we are to interpret and apply Old Testament types and metaphors or the exposition of parables is just a good resource to have if you're preaching through parables. I mean, he is a good resource to read. And then just for biographical work, the book I would recommend is The Excellent Benjamin Keach by Austin Walker that's kind of the main staple biography. It's a longer biography and it's very thorough, but it's, it's accessible and, and well-written and you basically learn everything that I've said here and much more. So I, that would be one that I recommend. Well, brother Jimmy, thank you for taking all this time to come on the covenant podcast today and discuss another particular Baptist. We've been greatly benefited by listening to your, uh, study on Andrew Fuller and Benjamin Keach and so thankful that you've taken this time. Thank you. Uh, God bless you, brother, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.